It sounds like you're on a walkie-talkie. <laughs> Does it? Come in, Jameson. This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A., Bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code JavaScriptJabber, you'll get a $10 credit. This episode is brought to you by Braintree. If you're a developer or manager of a mobile app and searching for the right payments API, check out Braintree. Braintree's new V0 SDK makes it easy to support multiple mobile payment types with one simple integration. To learn more and to try out their sandbox, go to braintreepayments.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 177 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Jameson Dance. Hello, friends. Amy Knight. Hello. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Dave Smith. Ahoy! I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and angularremotecomp.com. Uh, we have a special guest this week, and that's Oren Rubin. Hi there. You want to introduce yourself real quick? Sure. I've been in tech for almost 20 years, doing uh, machine learning, distributed computing, compilers, a lot of web development, and uh, test automation for the last few years. Very cool. And so we, once you solved all the easy stuff with distributed computing, you came to the real hard problems, which are front-end JavaScript, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I actually agree. I totally believe that, that it's much harder, yeah. Oh, uh, I was being stupid. You actually think it's harder? I actually feel that it's at least as hard as. Uh, when I started doing web like eight years ago, things were a mess. Things are, aren't that perfect right now, but you do have... Angular, Ember, React, you have a lot of frameworks here that keeps everything more than easy, but you didn't have that at the beginning. And I think the first thing I did web was actually, um, I did an um, extension for Firefox, something that extended GreaseMonkey and debugging. You couldn't debug easily. Uh, you're not custom for that, but even today, I really think that web development is, uh, because it's asynchronous most of the time. 
it's not that simple. It's really uh, doing architect work. And uh, it's not as simple as people think. Even CSS is not as simple as people think. Oh, that's for stupid. No, it's really hard. So I feel better about myself now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you just had too much selenium. <laughs> well, it it is interesting, right? I mean, you're you're talking about different... I mean, how many different languages do you have to know in order to build for the web? I mean, you have to be fluent or semi-fluent, at least in HTML and CSS, if you want to count HTML a language, which it kind of is. It's a markup language, so it's not Turing complete. But then you've got, you know, possibly JSON or XML if you're dealing with APIs. You've got um, your JavaScript on the front end and then maybe JavaScript on the back end or some other back end language to build all the rest of that stuff out. And then it gets more complex from there if you add other things to your stack. So I, I can kind of see where you're coming from there. Well, actually, it's not just a, uh, a difference in the language. I've did as a I love compilers. So I did. I've learned uh, more than a few dozens. But what I really saw, uh, I worked at Wix, which is a big company that does a lot of web, and I've noticed that people are coming, great people, amazing people that, that come from the back end to the front end side. Uh, really struggle much harder learning JavaScript and uh, doing front end. And those coming from Flash, they really they hit it off in a second. They needed just a day or two just to find out what's different. But it's more uh, this is a was a more like, more like a mental change for the back end guys. Uh, it was really easy for the Flash front end guys. So well, I'm sorry I distracted us. <laughs> no, it's all good. I mean, what what we have on the docket today is UI validation, and it sounds like that's uh, UI testing, making sure that the UI looks and behaves the way that we expect it to. First of all, we want to probably start, uh, you did a lot of show probably about why testing is good. So people usually talk about unit testing, and we all know that testing is good, and, and you have regression tests, and and continuous deployment is is amazing. You, every change you make instantly goes up, and you deploy a new version. But the question uh, we should probably start with is when to use end-to-end, real end-to-end, real browsers. When do I just use unit tests? And even that is a de- it, the answer is always depends, as always. But over the years, I've, I've noticed that I was a big, big fan of unit testing and still is because it improves your uh, code quality. By, uh, can, we, can we just stop and get a really brief definition of unit testing and end-to-end testing? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, so let, let's explain probably um, the entire jargon of the, of the um, testing world. So every um, application is actually built of components and units and there's and each unit is composed out of smaller units and they all have like inputs that they're all models that you have uh, you put stuff in and you get stuff out. Every component is. So unit testing usually when you talk about unit testing is about, about the granularity of your testing. It means the lowest the smallest granularity that you can do. That usually is um, either a class uh, if you have a class which has a few methods, that's uh, that's usually the, the granularity. When you're talking about UI testing, the question is, uh, you can do that for controllers, when, which they, they don't access, by best practices that they don't access the DOM. So you can just call invoke the methods and have, check the results. The, 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 actually, you, you change, uh, you check that the state of the uh, of your object has changed. So that's one very small unit. Usually, when you talk about 
QI, the smallest unit is actually a component because there's no such thing as a, just a, just a, an object. Usually it comes up with, uh, if we're talking about um, an Angular component, um, either an Ember component or with, um, with Angular, you have directives. And you're talking about an H, it's probably a template as well. There's involved uh, logic as well, and usually a CSS as well. By definition, it's hard to find exactly just a unit test here because CSS as we know it is global. If you say, if, even if you have your CSS for just one component, and it says uh, it has a rule. It says all the leaves are should be red, uh, color red. Then it affects the entire application. Of course, until we have shadow down, which is uh, far, far from us. So even unit testing is um, are not as unit testing as we think. And we can check on integration between a few units and where they're talking to each other and have probably they're exposing a different API. Uh, and they talk between themselves. This is integration test. And the end-to-end testing means that you're checking the entire stack. That usually means both front-end, you have someone clicks a directive, uh, have a component, that calls the, the controller, it calls, it calls a service, it, it sends an HTTP request to, to the server, it talks to the database and, and the response keep uh, coming back to the UI. And this entire flow, this is called end-to-end testing. Acceptance test means that not just you end to end, usually means everything that is required for you to deliver a new product. Usually it's not just functional testing. Functional testing, you check the application and you make sure if you have a calculator, if you check one plus one, and then you want to make sure it's uh, the answer is two. But you, you can have a different type of validations, not just functional that it says two. You can have UI validation means it's in the correct place and it looks that all the buttons are aligned and you have it in the right font. You have um, memory leaks. If you want to, if you do one plus plus again and again and again and again, you want to make sure that you're not, you don't get an out of memory exception. And of course there's, um, there's performance testing that you want to make sure that the answer, you get the answer number two fast enough. So there's a few, when you're saying uh, acceptance test, you, you mean a bunch of them. And one more thing that we should know is probably uh, sanity. It's usually uh, the, the formal word is smoke testing. It means um, what are the minimum amount of tests that I want to do before I want to deliver or at least uh, say I don't see any fire, so it's probably okay. And you really want to do that because there's a big difference between a commit of a user when he changes the code. He wants to not just commit and push the code to the global repository, there's a difference between that, that you want to do it really quick. You want to check everything's okay, and then I'm pushing my code. But before I release the new version, I want to test everything. I want to do acceptance testing and have everything working perfect before I ship my product. And that includes a lot of commits from so many developers in my organization. So that's basically the terms. Thanks. That helps out a lot. So there's a lot of unit testing going on for for JavaScript. Jasmine and Mocha are usually um, the best, uh, most popular, let's just say. Um, most of them are pretty similar, pretty straightforward. You do a lot of mocks because you, if you want to check one single unit, you probably want to mock everything else. The mocking isn't the simple thing to do. It's simple to do, but the data for uh, initializing your data, that's usually the, the hard part. But usually unit testing is easy because you get started. First of all, it's in the same language. 
you if you want to do unit testing in JavaScript, you write it in JavaScript. If you want, um, usually when you started doing end-to-end testing at the beginning, only for example, if we take Selenium, which is an open source project uh, for writing end-to-end testing. The majority of the documentation was on the, the Java binding. And most people started with that. So you couldn't ask the front-end guy, right, please write the test as well. You had to have a team of QA automation. That, that's a different language. That's Java. No. How can I? Oh, I, I know JavaScript. That's Java. It's a completely different thing. So that was the first barrier for front-end developers writing end-to-end testing. And I guess the second thing that is different between unit testing and end-to-end testing it takes a long time. The setup isn't that easy. You need to open a browser. If you want to write in parallel, you have to run and write, uh, run everything concurrent and have 50 browsers. You probably can't do that on the same machine. It's not going to work that smoothly. Not, not just as a uh, unit testing, but I think the hardest part of writing end to end tests, uh, and the most challenging for moving from unit test to end to end test is starting to everything is asynchronously. So if you need test, you can speed up things. You're mocking even the time and, and you, you, you're, you're used to running everything uh, synchronously. You call, you invoke a method and you want to make sure something was invoked. But end-to-end testing means mimicking the real user, starting from the, um, the browser. And real users, if you work with real databases, real servers, that, that takes a while. So you want to do a simple login then you have to start the big question is, oh, wait a second, how long do I wait? How do I know that I'm ready? How do I know that a page is ready? So that's the, the, that's the first thing that uh, people usually fall when moving from unit testing to end-to-end testing is, um, how do I know I'm done? When can I start testing the second thing? And it's funny um, because the answer usually lies in organizing your code better. You guys familiar with the page object design pattern? I am. And I actually have a quick question about something you just said. Sure. So you mentioned about actually like hitting your backend. I'm curious your thoughts on actually mocking that out to speed up end-to-end tests. Oh, that's a great question. As we said, it depends on the granularity. Because if we're checking, if you have unit tests, we said, you know exactly what went wrong. This unit it doesn't work and probably has 20 methods. We'll find out what's, what went wrong. And uh, end-to-end means... If you're talking in a higher level, then you get great coverage, amazing coverage. Think about the simple case as you, if you, um, sending, just log into Gmail, send an email to yourself and open it up. You, you probably do a coverage of 30% of Gmail's code. And, uh, nothing a very, uh, something in a small test. So the coverage is great, but when something goes wrong, you don't know exactly who to blame because there's so many units involved. You don't know ex- which specific unit is involved and, uh, which one, uh, who's to blame. So your question is, how about we split it in two? How come we can't mock the backend and it probably will speed up things enormously? And the answer is, of course, you can. There's, there, were, there weren't any a lot of um, out-of-the-box solutions. Every time you mock, you have to set up what's the result in a lot of cases. Yep, it's a pain. I'll have to use this as one of my picks at the end, but we use something in Angular that does that so that we don't actually have to hit our APIs in our end-to-end tests. Yeah, so, but so if it's an end-to-end split, end but... test and you mock out one of the is it really an end-to-end test? <laughs> <laughs> or is it like end-to-middle? <laughs> <laughs> 
kind of that question too. It's like the front end to end. <laughs> <laughs> front end so, to the so, other side of the front end. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so that's why I say it depends because if you want to just simply commit your code and push it, not, not deploy it to the new version. If I want to make sure that I didn't do so much harm because I only changed the UI. I know that I changed only, uh, I don't know, CSS or some JavaScript part. How come now I didn't change the API between the client and the server? How come I have to check everything? Before we deploy, we do want to check everything. You want to make sure that we don't have any bugs. But here, right now, when we only change something in the front end, so it's uh, usually you, you change your test because this is uh, the smoke testing, probably, as you mentioned, as I mentioned, that would fit that very well. Yeah. But there's one more thing that there's a difference between unit testing and end to end is because end to end takes so much time. Just opening the browser takes a few seconds and the scenario takes a long time. Usually there's a different methodology to so how to do end to end. So what happens is in unit test, usually you because the setup is so quick, you can check one little thing, one method, and validate it, and that's it. And you have different tests that checks, for example, different methods. So because the setup is so expensive for end-to-end testing, if it took you 10 seconds to open a browser and load your application, you probably want to have more than just a little step. So what happened is that you have a complete user story in every test for end-to-end. You, you go from checking small stuff to checking a full user story. And that works as well because what you do actually when you check end-to-end, you actually check the business logic. You're checking different things. You're, you do want to check a lot of things because you're checking a full scenario that some user might take, uh, not just a small part. You want to make sure that not just... In, goes and put the book in a, in a card, but he can actually make the payment as well. That's a full user story. I guess that leads us to, probably to the, how do you write end-to-end testing? And the first rule of writing end-to-end testing is writing page objects. So I'll explain the page object in a, in a sec. So page object means that everything you touch, don't touch the implementation. Always have another layer of abstraction, which is the, the business logic. Never work against, for example, if we're using Selenium, never work against the Selenium API. I uh, remember when I just started, I read a quote which says, um, if you, if you're using the Selenium API in your tests, uh, you're doing it wrong. I think it was one of the one who wrote Selenium who said that. And, um, it works great. Uh, I remember a case. Uh, when I just got started and, um, uh, we did a lot of, uh, tweaks. We did a lot of, uh, um, there wasn't any Ember and Angular back then. So we wrote our own MVC, just like everyone. And, um, we started, we want to be continuous deployment and we started writing tests. And eventually we see that it, it didn't work out. So we wanted to split things up and to get things done faster. So what we did was we did we write the API for the entire business logic that took just like a weekend. And then you tell a lot of the QA guys, uh, most of them weren't any super technical, but you can tell them, here's a bunch of classes and here's the, the interfaces and the methods that you have. And now you can write your test, just like almost in English, write your test and I'll talk to the um, dev guys and they'll do the implementation. So we split up uh, the test. Someone wrote the test 
and even before the implementation was ready, and someone else who knew the application by heart, which it would because we built it, started building the, um, the implementation, the how. So eventually, two weeks later, we had so much done because we could split uh, the teamwork. So that was the first time I've, I've noticed that page objects are really helpful. And the second time was because I noticed that a lot of people are don't know exactly when, do, where, how do I wait? When do I wait till the page is ready? So page objects helps you with that because if you have a um, class called account, which has a method called login, if you if you're writing your page objects correctly, you, the login. I assume you you know you're going to a gallery page. The login returns uh, the gallery page when it's ready. Then when you're writing a test, uh, when you're looking at the uh, at the test, it seems like almost synchronously because you say. Uh, login, then you get a lot in a gallery, and then it says gallery dot go to next page. You hide all the implementation of uh, of waiting to the um, gallery page to be ready inside something else. So page objects aren't your account object or your gallery object. Your page objects are things that actually work on the UI itself. Yeah, usually uh, I guess page object isn't uh, the correct word. That's that's the phrase, but we'll keep that. But it's more like component objects. Oh, okay. Because if you have a gallery, uh, it's a component. It doesn't have to be a full-blown um, page. You can have five galleries in the same page, right? And just to if be you... clear, this is this is the thing you write to test your page or your component. It's not the component itself, right? Yeah. It's just, it's just every, like the API to drive it. Yeah, it's exactly. It's a driver. Every component that you have in your UI, in just say uh, the Angular, has reversed engineered component for the testing, which is uh, in your testing. I want to ask about this a little bit. It sounds like you're advocating for 100% coverage in functional, or sorry, in end-to-end testing. And in my experience, end-to-end tests have been very brittle. They're easy to break when changes that don't break the functionality happen. And so they can end up taking a lot longer to maintain. And then the more coverage you have, the more time you spend maintaining them. Uh, Can you talk about that balance? can Can I throw an example out really quickly? So let's say you have a button that's inside of a div and you decide that you're going to move it outside the div or remove the div. And now your reference to that button has changed where the in reality the form still submits and everything else still works. So usually in your test, you're talking about the user experience. And the user experience is, of course, you want to do a login or submit some form. I'd probably add a new song. He's talking in the, in the business logic level. And what page objects also gives us is that you split the, the locators. What is the locators? The, the hard part about what we did with reverse engineering is... That let's just say you you created a gallery in Angular, and now you want to have the gallery driver in your test, which has um, three methods: go to next image, go to previous image, and show full screen. So this is the interface that you're exposing to the users. And um, the nice thing is that you separate now between finding the gallery and inside the gallery. How do I? I click the next button, the previous button, and um, and the show more. So the, the problem usually starts when you talk about end-to-end testing, about flaky tests, 
the first thing is uh, when you st- when I mentioned asynchronously. The second thing is the locators. How do I find that specific button and click it? If you want to fix stuff very very quickly or almost never, is the is writing your page object right so that they have the locators for only that component. You're splitting the locators. A few years ago, everyone you had like one page, big page comprising the locators for everything in their application. And nowadays you probably see that they did they have small locators in every component. You um just like software engineering intended things to be, like you naming stuff is hard, but then let's put everything exactly where it needs to be. So every component is uh in charge of just that component. And of course you want to reuse that component again and again because you have a gallery not in the first page as well, in the second page as well, and you're reusing that exactly as you reuse the your Angular component, now you're reusing your gal- uh, your drivers. And it's probably when it's going to break, y- you you know very fast if what what breaks. The, was it finding the gallery? Did I change something that uh, that element? How do I how do I find it? And inside of it, how do I move the next and previous? So I guess the almost <laughs> it's funny that page objects running page objects correctly is probably a most um, an answer for most of the questions in end to end. But yes, end-to-end are fragile, and usually they're fragile because they're supposed to be kind of like aspect-oriented programming, just like CSS a bit is, because if the if one guy or gal, sorry, is writing the the test and another is writing the the application and they don't talk to each other, you're they're just assuming, oh, let me find how do I find that button? Well, it has some uh, CSS class. Well, wait a second. CSS class are used for styling. Now you're going to change the styling because you want to make the gallery looks completely different. Why should it change my testing? So a lot of companies started adding the role, like debugging symbols to the components. So that means that if you change uh, something in your, uh, you want to change your, some add some class, remove class, CSS classing, uh, I mean, uh, it won't affect your end-to-end testing. Uh, at Wix, we did that in the framework level because um, a gallery, for example, had could have, um, which was um, still is, um, a build your own WYSIWYG. So what we did there is that you had an, at the MVC level, the controller, he says, it was more like uh, Angular um, a directive. He says, I'm supposed to have a next, a but, a previous, and a sure show more uh, buttons. I don't know who they are because I'm the logic. I don't know anything about the UI. But if you give me a UI, a template, it must have those three parts. And you can check those uh, statically. And the nice thing is that if you enforce those statically, uh, the UI never broke. Because you knew that every every com- UI component that you have always had those three parts, previous, back, and uh, those debugging symbols. So this is changing topic slightly. but. I think I watched one of your talks or was looking around maybe on the company that you work for on the website, and I think I read a blog post about using Protractor outside of Angular to do end-to-end testing. I was curious if you wanted to talk about that. Protractor. Um, well, I just thought that Selenium is the de facto uh, testing tool. Uh, it's a W3 standard uh, proposal. So the nice thing about Selenium is... If you use Selenium, most of the product, uh, most of the products out there use Selenium in some way. And, uh, Protractor is, 
one of those that uses selenium and gives it a few more, few extra thing, tips. Like you can find an element, not just by an idea or a class, by also by a different uh, data, data binding attribute. Regarding the, um, the asynchronous, it helps just a bit with Angular. Angular has dirty checking. So sometimes it takes time between and uh, you change something until the UI is getting the updates. And it's not just Angular. Um, there's a similar thing as well for a member, a member. But what Protractor did is talking to the Angular and saying, okay, let me know when you're done refreshing the UI and then I'll ch- start checking. Um, so it doesn't help us a lot if we're doing a login and we're moving from one page to another, but it does help us a bit with Angular's um, taking a bit time to uh, update the UI. And in fact, I think the fact that it's in JavaScript really helps uh, a lot of um, developers. There's more and more agile teams that even the, the developers writing the tests or uh, themselves, and that's super, super awesome thing to do. And even if it's in the fact, even the fact that it's JavaScript, even though there's now Selenium, uh, JavaScript Selenium, everything that you have in JavaScript is, uh, if you're using the same language, then you can do both. And that's a great thing for, um, uh, agile team. Have you ever had a chance to play with something like zombie where it's not driving an actual browser, but it's driving, uh, kind of a mocked out browser using JS DOM? Can you maybe contrast? just the general approach of, of driving a real browser versus a more mocked out browser? Well, there, there's, um, are you talking for the same for, um, as Slimer and, uh, Phantom? So there, there's a few. So, so Phantom's the headless browser, but there's actually something yeah. that's even more lightweight called Zombie.js, where they just mock out all of the browser APIs in JavaScript, and then they mm-hmm. use JS DOM to render stuff to a DOM, but it, there's there's no layout, right? It just renders it to a, a DOM that's a string, and then you can assert and, and test stuff against that. But it's it's so it's not a real browser that you can see, but it's still kind of a browser ish. Um. Well, the, the big the big question is, and this is part of UI validations as well, is can you do it screenshots? What I mean by that is. When you're talking about UI, it's funny, in, in, until last year, nobody ever talked about how everything looks and the UI, how the pixel looked like. And it's funny because it's so important. Uh, you had, I've seen so much bugs. For example, that the CSS, someone gave it uh, the width instead of a 1024, they gave it a 124. The, um, so it was, it was so small, the window, you can't, it didn't, it wasn't operational. But all the tests passed because if you're checking the DOM, everything that the user sees, you didn't check that. So there's a, there's a lot of, um, those kind of errors. They, they're very frequent. Uh, you have Z index, which, um, makes your, uh, one component above the other. Uh, there's the sizing. There's, um, there's, uh, uh, Google had the flying pony where they wanted to release something just for the administrator, administrator and, um, uh, and they released it for everyone and they didn't catch the, the test didn't catch it because if you're checking the DOM specific DOM element for some text, you don't check. Uh, how do you know there's no nothing added to the uh, DOM next to it that you, is above it? For example, in, in that, their case, that was a flying pony, which is a nice bug. There's a lot of things that if you check, if you take a screenshot, 
Uh, there's a lot of benefits for, uh, and the biggest benefits you get a thousand assertions, a uh, thousand validations in one screenshot. First of all, you check CSS. That means the sizing, the fonts, the layouts, the, and you check so many functional testing because you check all the text on screen. So I guess the question is, why not take a screenshot? Um, well, you can't do that in an automated manner though, right? Because somebody, yeah, how do you, how do you automatically diff them? Usually you, you, you can switch, uh, let's separate between two things, regression testing and production testing. So if we're, text, if we're checking, Google's checking the production, the result will be, uh, different every time. But we can, we can check, we can take screenshots only if we can, if you have some magic to check the layout. Only how this, the big, how big is the, the font. But if we're talking about regression testing, then you probably can set, uh, just as in unit testing, you have, you set the same data to begin with. And if you have the same stimuli, the same actions, the clicks and same HTTP request, then you should end up in the, something that is very similar to a pixel by pixel uh, result. Well, I've stated that, but, so th- but there's a reason nobody, uh, almost uh, never used that is it's funny because if you render it twice, it's funny that the, um, you, probably get, won't get, uh, same pixel by pixel result. And, and that's that due to, um, anti-aliasing. There's the display adapters, which aren't deterministic and you get some false positives and you, you get things like, uh, text that shift by pixels, sub, even it's called sub pixel shifting. Uh, so there's a lot of UI that, uh, that keeps changing. If you, even if you render, if you refresh the same page twice, you, you, when you look at it, uh, you see, you see everything that it looks the same, but if you just check pixel by pixel, it's not. So I guess there's a, there's going to be popping out of companies more and more that, that will check, uh, more like a human does and not just, uh, as, um, pixel by pixel because it sure helps a lot. And by the way, um, if you're talking about UI validation, taking pixel, uh, images, you don't have to check the entire application. You can you can do like a mini unit testing, like component for just a gallery, and take the screenshots of the gallery in different states and just for just comp- that component. It doesn't may- mean that yeah, you have to take the entire uh, screen. Uh, that's it's very easy to crop their your um, as for a screenshot. Every browser supported uh, supports it, so it's very but very easy to find out where your element is and just crop the image for that element. So checking UI is um, very, I think it's very important. And more and more, by the way, there's a big trend in the last two years, uh, talking about Angular and Ember and React, and there's a big trend. People are moving, there are a lot of business logic, critical business logic is moving from the back end to the front end. No, I, I don't know if, sure if no one not, noticed that, but there used to be like 5% no, we had of noticed. Your... <laughs> so, so 5% of your code used to be uh, the front end, and you... And uh, you never tested that. Oh, you will do it manually. And if you, uh, you guys know there's the, uh, the reverse ice cream. That's the testing pyramid. No, I haven't heard of that. What is it? Uh, it means like it's like the triangle and it means that in the bottom you have a lot of unit tests and a few more, a few less, uh, integration tests. And mm-hmm. the more you go up for the end to end testing, uh, at the tops, usually, um, people say, okay, let, um, there's very few end to end testing. Usually people usually do manually. And that's because uh, until now, most of the cloud code was in the backend. That was, uh, people fighting, uh, Ruby and Rails or Django, uh, JDB frameworks. So 
But now the code is uh, another code has moved on to the front end, and you can't just manually test it because it's not feasible. You have so many devices, so many different resolutions. Uh, we didn't talk about responsive design yet. When if you want to check, take this screenshot, your website looks completely different. Your application, if it's uh, if the width is a thousand pixels, if it's three hundred pixels. One reason for that kind of pyramid or upside down ice cream cone that I've seen is that the end-to-end tests aren't just, you know, more brittle or harder to do, you know, and a lot of that is getting easier. But the other thing is, is if you're running something like Selenium, it takes a long time and I want to get immediate feedback from my tests. And so that's why I tend to not write as many end-to-end tests. And I'll test my front end with many more uh, unit tests and other things that run faster. And then, you know, and do some of the mocking out of the back end for the critical pieces. And then, you know, work my way down to just having end-to-end tests for the absolute essential stuff. And that's right, because it's they are uh, slow. And as hardware gets cheaper, people will start running concurrent. Mm-hmm. And then you can, if you if you get a chance to do everything end-to-end, and if it wasn't that brittle, then you'll probably want to do that. Um, so, so you're saying that if, the speed were the same, you would prefer full end-to-end test coverage over like full unit test coverage? Uh, I'll, I'll be, I'll, uh-huh. So let me clarify. It depends what of the state of your, applica- uh, your company. If you're a startup and you want to move fast and the most important thing you want to have is full coverage, that you have to have full coverage to release the product if using continuous deployment. Sure. You have to have full coverage. Unit testing, getting everything well, with full cards, it's um, uh, it's not that easy. So especially uh, the front end, there's a lot of CSS and uh, there's a lot of HTML and JavaScript that aren't, which are in components and they aren't being tested. So of course I prefer first everything to be fully tested, um, and there's a I can do that very simply with end-to-end testing, and hopefully one day it will be easy to write end-to-end testing. It still isn't because record playback tools aren't uh, really suck. But as, as the company grows, uh, you probably want to have more and more uh, unit testing, especially in where your critical business logic is. So that depends whether it's in the back end or the front end. It doesn't really matter. You want to have more unit tests on um, on that specific region. And, okay, um, so so you're you're suggesting that intent tests are kind of more pragmatic and immediately valuable to your business and unit tests are kind of a longer term uh maybe help keep your your development speed up as your project gets more complex is that kind yeah, of they help you saying yeah sure. um, interesting um because i i had a i even tried <laughs> for a year to have a hundred percent unit coverage and that was hard by the way reaching the hundred percent and it didn't work for my well because i i did have bugs integration bugs. So it, the, 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 the software wasn't flawless, even though I had 100% coverage. Even if we write the, uh, 100% coverage, what, what, by the way, the coverage isn't the only thing that, uh, that you want to check. So it's only um, one, uh, one thing that you want to check. Usually if you have a very, uh, this is your business logic code, and you should probably, for, I'll give an example how you want to test that. So if you have a loop, you, you want to test the same code uh, in three different attempts. Once that it goes by the, the loop and passes and doesn't go in, 
second test would be that you only enter once. And the third time is that you enter, enter the loop at least twice. So those different tests, the first one is, is enough. The second one is enough to have uh, full coverage, but it doesn't mean that you're testing everything at the maximum level. So I guess it, it all depends. Been talking a lot about coverage, but do you kind of think that when you're writing tests, maybe it's better to focus on <clears throat> actually writing the test first and then maybe going back and check the coverage after? Because I feel like maybe when you're only focusing on coverage, you kind of lose track of actually what you're trying to test. And that way, by just actually thinking about it, you're testing what you really need to. When you talk to people and ask them, how do you start testing? What do you start testing? People usually say, oh, I check with analytics and then I found out what's the critical things that the paths that users uh, do. Well, usually the, those are converted and you start with those. So you want to have check which paths are critical for me uh, and start testing that. So even when you wanted to write the test, it's not about having a hundred percent coverage. It's about trying to focus on the most reused paths and have them covered or the critical paths. So as I said, having 100% unit coverage, it has a bad ROI. The nice thing, the only nice thing about it have been 100% coverage was that if you add a few more lines of code, you in a second, you dropped below 100% and then you say, wait a second, I probably didn't test that. So that was the only advantage I saw in 100% uh, coverage. So basically end to end is, uh, this is the acceptance test. Usually it means that only if everything works as a user sees it, only then do I deploy. Unit test, uh, as, as noted here, is, uh, it's for us. It's a, it makes our code better. It's not just about regression testing. Your code, when, uh, it becomes much, much better when, uh, people use, um, unit tests. I guess the basic thing is that you think more about UI and, and, um, a second reason is you think more about reuse because you're using your component again right now when you're, you're writing the unit tests. So you're already starting to reuse the same component twice. So you're thinking more about the API and then you'll probably use the same component again and again in the future. And it's almost ready. You say, Oh, I have a great API. Let's reuse it. And there's one more thing that we didn't talk about, which is, um, uh, so you, you guys know about, um, cucumber or, um, any other mm-hmm. Gherkin language? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a Ruby guy, so I've done plenty with cucumber. So I wanted to maybe talk you... a little bit about what it is though, cause I think there are a lot of people here that haven't used cucumber. Yeah. So or, cu- or a lot of listeners. So cucumber, what it does is it provides you a way of writing your tests or specs in natural language or, or English, basically, for me. The way that it does this... So Cucumber was originally written in Ruby. I don't know if there are ports to other languages or not. But the way that it works is it has a regular expression that it uses to extract the important parts out of the sentence. And so you'll you'll structure it something like, given there is an image on the page with URL, blah, 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 you know, Google logo or whatever... And given that I'm signed in, you know, is going to be your next sentence. When I click on the logo, then, you know, and that's another line. And the last line is going to be something like, then I should see Google.com or I should be on Google.com. And so what it does is in the background, it translates all of that into, and you have to write all these steps, but 
it translates all of that into something nice like the code that actually runs those. So it'll make sure, it'll test that the logo's on the page and it'll sign you in when you say, given that I'm signed in. And then when I do this, you know, when I click on the logo, it'll actually click the logo in your test and then it'll verify that you got the result. In other words, that your browser is now at HTTP colon slash slash google.com. Well, I have to say that over the years, my thought about this kind of development has changed because I used to hate it. Why? Because after you do, you, you write code for 20 years, you can read code faster than you can read English. So, and you have always had better tooling that helps your uh, automatically completion and stuff like that. So I always preferred writing code, but it's not just about you. You have other people in the team in, organ- in your organization that probably um, don't know much about code. If you can use, uh, if the product manager can help you write and help you write there, that, that's a big plus. But I guess that more than that, they force you to do the layer of abstraction, like the page object, as I told you. He, he helps you, he, they force you to separate between the business logic, the English one, and the code inside. So th- that's the, the that's the nice thing that after uh, learning about page objects, uh, you you they're forcing you to write in pay in um in page objects. In you, they don't force you to to do it on every component, but at least at the minimum level, they they do force you to do some separation and some abstraction, and so your tests are business logic based and. That's the great part of them. Uh, if you, if you're, if you have QAs that don't know how, how to code, that helps a lot. Or uh, product managers. But, um, the disadvantage is, of course, uh, debugging. I, I, I always claim that I, I do DOP, de- debug oriented programming. That's, uh, I always care about what happens later on when you have to debug. Most of the time you, you debug your code more than ever more than writing the code. And I strongly believe that. So for me, the most important thing to do in every uh, language or framework is always how easy it is for me to debug. That's it. That's the most important thing. Yeah, I found that it works really nicely, that approach, because it is English. works really nicely if you have non-code people, like you said, reading your specs. But other than that, I found that having the extra layer between me and my tests is more hassle and more stuff for me to maintain than it's worth. So anyway, I know that some of us have to hop off pretty quick here, so I'm going to go ahead and push us into picks. Before we get to the picks, let's hear from our silver sponsors. This episode is sponsored by TrackJS. Let's face it, errors cost you money. You lose customers, server resources, and time to them. Wouldn't it be nice if someone told you how and when they happened so you could fix them before they cost you big time? You may have this on your back-end application code, but what about your front-end JavaScript? It's time to check out TrackJS. It tracks errors and usage and helps you find bugs before your customers even report them. Go check them out at trackjs.com slash jsjabber. This episode is sponsored by CodeSchool. CodeSchool is an online learning destination for existing and aspiring developers that teaches through entertaining content. They provide immersive video lessons with in-browser challenges, which means that each course has a unique theme and storyline and feels much more like a game. Whether you've been programming for a long time or have only just begun, CodeSchool has something for everyone. You can master Ruby on Rails or JavaScript, as well as Git, HTML, CSS, and iOS. And more than a million people around the world use CodeSchool to improve their development skills by learning or doing. You can sign up at codeschool.com slash javascriptjabber. Once again, this episode was sponsored by Braintree. 
So go check them out at braintreepayments.com slash javascriptjabber. If you need any kind of credit card processing or payment processing in general, they're a great way to go, and we appreciate them sponsoring the show. Jameson, do you want to start us off with picks? The first is an article by Paul Ford. Paul Ford is the guy that wrote that giant article about code in Bloomberg, uh, and he writes a lot of stuff about technology. I just really like his writing style. This one is a speech he gave to a graduating group of, uh, I think they're UX designers or UI designers or something. And he, he talks about time and kind of the invention of the, the concept of time and, and clocks and schedules and things like that, which made me think about how measuring time affects my life. And then he ends by talking about how, uh, as a group, these people who design interfaces will be using their time to design them, but they'll also be using a way larger amount of other people's time. So if, if some of them end up working at Google and like add a button to Gmail, that's going to consume, I don't know, millions of man hours. And just the kind of the responsibility that we have as people who build things that other people use to make sure that those are good experiences because it'll affect a lot of people over the amount of time that it's used. Just kind of made me think about the responsibility of, of building things which was cool. My next pick is a song called Infantasia by Kishi Bashi. I don't know how to say this band's name. It just, I don't know. Every once in a while, I'll be listening to a song at work and then I'll just get distracted and, and get the feels. And this song gave me the feels today. Just a, a pretty song. And then one more pick. I'm going to pick Matt Zabriskie. He and I co-organized React Rally, a conference about React that just happened this last week. And he has been amazing to work with. He works super hard. And he does great code and he does great life. So if you know him or have a chance to know him, you should get to know him. Those are my picks. All right. Amy, do you have some picks? Yep, I have two. So the first one, we were talking about it. I'm going to pick it. Um, if you do any Angular code and it sounds appealing that you may want to mock out your APIs in your N10 tests, I'm going to put a link to the library that I've used before called HTTP backend proxy, and you just put in the actual response that you want to get back, and you can use that, obviously, instead of hitting your actual API. And then the second pick is a website called REPL.IT, and it's a like basic environment for a bunch of different programming languages, so uh, you can just program in these languages in your browser if you want, rather than actually having to set up the full environment. I'm sure there's limitations to it, but it seems like a good starting place if you just want to play around. So those are my two picks for today. Awesome. Joe, what are your picks? All right. Well, I'd like to start off by talking about some training that I went. I want to pick this training. After React Rally, I went and took the two-day React course that the company, I think, is actually called React Training, but it's Ryan Florence and Michael Jackson who uh, do the training. I went there. It was a two-day training. It was completely awesome. I was totally overwhelmed by how good those guys are at training. Their curriculum was great. They did a great job explaining it. I just couldn't speak any more highly about it. I mean, I already know React somewhat well, but those guys were... They just did a great job of explaining React and the why of React and teaching. I really enjoyed and was impressed with their training. So I'd like to pick them and their their training company. Also at React Rally, Dave Smith gave a talk at the end, and it was Brilliance by Jameson and Matt Zabriskie's 
part to put him at the end. He gave this talk on how React literally waters as long. And so the videos are probably going to be up by the time this is published. So you should head over to reactreality.com and watch that. That, if, if nothing else, if you watch another talk this year, you should watch his talk. I was laughing my head off and entertained and educated as well. <laughs> it was just an amazing talk. I'm excited so, to see this. Yeah, props off to you, Dave. Or my hat's off to you, Dave. Then I also want to uh, remind everybody that Angular Connect is coming up here in just over a month or about a month. And so uh, over in the UK, I'll be there speaking about not Angular. I'm going to be talking about empathy, which will be fun for me to talk about something that isn't technical. But I'm sure it'll be an awesome conference. I'm excited to go to that. And then my last thing is sort of an announcement that tickets are now uh, the ticket lottery is now available for ngconf so you can head over and register for a ticket for the lottery and we will be rather than doing the click fest we had last year where we sold all the 700 tickets in like 10 seconds we're actually going to do a lottery to try to make it a little bit more fair for those who aren't in the right time zones or for people who can't get away from work at the moment when tickets go on sale so you can go over pick up a free ticket to the lottery and then there'll be lottery drawings. The first one starts on September 22nd and there'll be others after that to fill in the tickets that don't get sold. So I'm super excited for NGConf 2016. I'm so excited to announce all the awesome things we're going to be doing. So that's it. All right. Uh, I've got a couple of things. The first one is, I know this is a JavaScript podcast, but the Ruby Remote Conf videos are now up. You can go watch those. Uh, there are some that are pretty good that are not necessarily Ruby-focused. And there are a couple in there that, even though they are Ruby-focused, have a message that kind of transcends Ruby. A couple of my favorites were Dave Thomas gave a talk. Uh, Dave Thomas is from Pragmatic Programmers. Dave Thomas gave a talk on Elixir, the programming language. So go check that out. It's kind of a different paradigm and uh, some cool stuff there. And then Peter Cooper, who you may know from J uh, JavaScript Weekly, he actually gave a talk as well, talking about how he uses Ruby to just solve everyday problems. And I think that's something that's applicable to anybody. So uh, I'll put links to both of those in the show notes. While we're talking about conferences, Angular Remote Conf is in a few weeks. So if you want to come out and get a bunch of great information about uh, Angular without actually having to travel, then uh, come check it out. We're going to have about 12 hours of talks. You can get it all for about 200 bucks. And you can use the coupon code JABBER. That'll get you 20% off. And the last thing I'm going to talk about is I've had just an op awesome opportunity to talk to people who are kind of on the other end of this particular recording. And that is you listening to this. Um, and I've gotten some great feedback on the shows. And I really, really appreciate uh, getting to know all of the people who enjoy what we do. Uh, if you want to have one of those calls... Um, you can schedule a 15-minute call with me. Uh, go to javascriptjabber.com slash 15 minutes. That's 15 minutes. And if you do that, then it'll take you to Calendly. You might have to skip ahead a few weeks because I'm booked out three or four weeks at this point. But go in there and get a time because I want to know who you are. I want to know uh, where you listen, which episodes you've enjoyed, uh, what we can cover in the show that'll make a difference. And overall, just you know, find out who who the people are on the other end of this thing are. And it's not just so that I can 
you know, for my own personal gratification, it really is because I enjoy meeting people and I really do need the feedback that I'm getting. And it's not just about the shows. So anyway, for what it's worth, go check those out. Awesome. Uh, I just uh, scheduled myself for a slot. Oh, dear. (laughs) I should have put a blacklist. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Oren, what are your picks? Oh, well, I'll start with... uh, Great uh, Selenium blog to get started. Elemental Selenium by Dave Hefner. If anyone wants to start using Selenium right now, who's ever listening, it's a great place you get started. Very simple examples. How do I do this? How do you do that? So very, uh, you start with the basic and moving on to the very complex stuff. Second pick, that would be Leah Veru. She has a new book on CSS secrets. Doing amazing stuff. Nobody ever talks a lot about CSS, and uh, it's one of my uh, personal favorites. Doing cool stuff with CSS, so I have to pick her. And there's the last one probably uh, ah Cloudinary. Cloudinary is um uh, is, a, is a product I started using, which every company I used to work with, we did the images in house, dealing with images, uploading to CDNs and, uh, and having transformation and cropping them and resizing them. And there's an RSS solution that does that. So, uh, it, <laughs> every time you something, every company struggles, someone does a CSS uh, solution, uh, which I love. And my, for the latest, that's Docker. Docker is amazing. It, for everything that is, um, Doing Selenium, if you want to have 20 browsers up in five seconds, now there's Docker. So this is helps a lot. So uh, I'm in love with Docker's. All right. Well, thanks for coming, Oren. Yeah, you're welcome. I uh, had a great time. Yep, us too. All right, well, we'll wrap up the show. Uh, if people want to follow up with you, figure out what you're up to, uh, what should they do? Where should they go? They can contact me directly, uh, probably um, either Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or my, they can check out what we do at uh, testing.io and just uh, find out what, how we're trying to help the world, making testing simple. That's the best way, I guess. Are they okay to swing by your house? Ah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, next month I'll be in San Francisco, so uh, not next month, next week. So uh, I can stop at their house. So that's... Ah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> they can send me the, the address. So. All right. Well, thanks again, Oren. We're going to wrap up the show, and we'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests. 